Proverbs chapter 15. The Bible is a very practical and helpful book. And as we look at Proverbs 15, uh, the first few verses tonight, we're going to see guidelines for godly speech. Guidelines for godly speech. Notice in verse number one, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Tonight we're going to look at verses 1, 2, and 4. Possibly next week we'll come back and look at verse 3. We'll see how the Lord leads. But Proverbs 15 is just continuing this contrast between good and evil and focuses in on the wise use of our speech and the foolish use of speech. H.A. Ironside said in his introduction to this section in his commentary, quote, it's impossible for man to estimate aright the power for good or evil that lies in the tongue. A kindly, gracious word will often disarm the most ill-tempered and wrathful man, while a sharp, cutting remark has frequently separated friends dear to each other for years. You know, through the years of counseling, I cannot tell you the number of times that primarily in the issue of marital conflicts, if you really pull away all the stuff and get to the core of the matter, that conflict is rooted in the misuse of our speech saying hurtful things, saying extreme things that just, and then harboring that hurt for a long period of time. So there's really each verse speaks about one type of our communication. First of all, it talks about calm answers. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up, in, uh, stir up anger. Now, a soft answer is not talking about compromised speech or you know, without conviction. The word literally means uh, gentle or tender, or in some usages, it can be used of weak. And so it's talking about a gentle, measured response rather than a reactive, harsh response. And I'll be honest and tell you, there have been times in my life where I, I failed in this. You know, somebody comes at you hard and, and they're aggressive. Your natural human tendency is to give it right back to them. You know, I was first in the ministry. I'll never forget it. Yeah, I'm, I'm 24. I just turned 24 those first few months. And um, uh, there, were, there were some, you know, management things going on in the church and school and so on. And the pastor had asked me to take up some responsibilities that a man in the church had done and, and previously. And, you know, I don't know how the pastor handled it. I wasn't there, I, I, but that man came into my office. I'm sitting by my desk and we had had many, you know, friendly talks, but he 
came to my desk, leaned over my desk, put his hands on my desk, his face was red as could be, and he came after me. Well, you know, I'm thinking, I better stand up for myself. And I went back, and I could have handled it a whole lot better. I could have handled it far better. And there have been other times when I failed in this. It, it is uh, something that we have to uh, give unto the Lord and be responsive to the Spirit of the Lord. The same idea is used in Proverbs 25:15, where the Bible says, by forbearing, by long forbearing, is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. And there, the Holy Spirit was having the, the writer of Proverbs say, look, you don't have to be hard, you don't have to be harsh, but gentle, firm pressure will accomplish the task. So he says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words. And we've talked about how the Proverbs are filled with these contrasts, these opposite ideas. What are grievous words? Well, this, it's a masculine noun that speaks of hurt or toil or pain. So what he's saying is hurtful words. Grievous words stir up anger. Well, there's a great illustration. We won't take time because I'm trying to be careful. But in Judges chapter 8, after Gideon had led Israel in that mighty victory with his 300 men, there were some men in the tribes that thought, you know what, Gideon didn't ask us to be involved. Why didn't he ask us to be involved? And they came after Gideon like, you didn't let us be a part of the victory so we don't get any of the, you know, any of the praise. I, I need to turn there because there's two phrases in it that I want you to note. It says, and they did chide with him sharply. They were, you want 2022, they were ticked. They were angry. They said, Gideon, you kept us from being a part of this victory. But the Bible says after that, and he said unto them, what have I not done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. Because he responded saying, look, look what God did for you. Look what you, could, look what you did is far greater than anything I could have done. He responded with a gentle, tender answer and their anger was assuaged. You see, some of us are expert at verbal karate. You know, somebody throws a jab at you, you give it back, and you're going to, and it's, you know, I'm going to beat you down by forcefulness. Uh, last night I took a walk, and I, there's a podcast I listened to. It's not a Christian podcast. It's more on history. They were talking about uh, a recent U.S. president, and the, the biographer was just giving his analysis of this president. He said, well, he wasn't necessarily a good president all the time, and he certainly wasn't a bad president all the time. And in the interview, they said, well, what was his, what was his great strength? And they said, he wore you down. 
He just stayed at it, stayed at it, and he has a winsome personality, but he just kept staying at it, staying at it, staying at it until he won. He didn't have to blow up. He didn't have to exert his authority. He just kept the pressure on. But you see, though you may be good at winning the verbal battle, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.29 that there is no corrupt communication that is to proceed out of our mouth. Who are we to emulate in our communication? The Lord Jesus Christ. How did he respond? Well, he didn't respond in angry, harsh, or belittling words. One writer said a soft answer is the water that can quench a fire that is burning rather than the gasoline that will spread it. So Proverbs 51 is teaching us a great principle. And if you can learn it, if I can learn it and exercise it, we will be known as peacemakers, not problem creators. A soft answer turneth away wrath. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but hurtful words, harsh words, grievous words, the Bible word, stir up anger. You know, we all need rebuke occasionally. But if that rebuke is presented with tenderness and gentleness and concern for us, it sort of prepares the soil for what's coming. Okay, you really care about me. You're, 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 you're talking to me like you want to help me. You're not just here to tear me down. And, and we're wise when we respond that way. But our natural response is when we feel unjustly attacked or unjustly accused is to respond in kind, but that never goes well. A soft or gentle answer will often deflect the anger and create conditions so that you can be problem solvers. A, a positive conclusion, a positive conversation doesn't mean you're always going to see eye to eye, but you can agree to disagree. But it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be unkind. It doesn't have to be mean-spirited. Ironside, again, in his commentary said, quote, it takes far more true character to meet an angry man with quietness of spirit and to return cool, calm words for heated and hasty ones than it does to give railing for railing or malice for malice. So what's the contrast with gentle, soft answer? Well, that's snarky, harsh, angry responses, which will often ruin any opportunity to resolve the conflict or disagreement. So what's a practical lesson for us? Parents, Ephesians 6.4 says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3.21, Proverbs, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So the question that we could pose on verse number one is, is our speech marked by peaceful, gentle words or provocative, harsh words? A calm communication, a calm answer. Look at verse number two. 
The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. So verse number two, we have that contrast again between the wise and their speech and the foolish and their speech. I called it considered speech. Whereas verse number one would be loving communication. Verse number two would be wise communication. Jesus taught that our speech reveals what we are in the core of our being. Out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaketh. From the very core of what we are and who we are, we are revealing that in our speech. Proverbs 26, verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Notice what it says there in verse number 2. It says, The tongue of the wise, here's the phrase, useth knowledge aright. That's an interesting phrase. It really comes from one Hebrew word, which means to do a thing well. So what is he saying? Wise people use their communication gift well. They know what to say. They know what not to say. They know when it's time to speak. They know when it's time to be quiet. This is not saying we're to always be silent, not offer an opinion. Because if God has given us wisdom and we've learned it from the word of God, we are to share that wisdom. None of us are to be like a, a dead end, like the Dead Sea where nothing can live because it doesn't have a flow. The wise say what's needed, but they also say it in the most helpful way. The Bible describes how our speech is to be, is to be like apples of gold in pictures of silver. The, the picture, the painting, so if you will, is to be beautiful, is to be framed in a beautiful frame that accentuates the beauty of the painting. So it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. And they go together as the wise useth knowledge aright. The same phrase is used in Proverbs 30, verse 29, where it talks about uh, the animals in learning, you know, the coney and the ant and the spider. It, it talks about how it is comely in going. Same idea, useth knowledge aright. Say, well, you know, I hate to create conflict, so I don't say anything. Well, you're missing the opportunity. Because Ephesians 4.15 says we're to be speaking the truth in love. Now, we may not always like the truth. But if it's presented in a loving manner with a loving motivation, we can appreciate the truth because it helps us. Not every sermon that I uh, believe God wants me to preach is easy to preach. You know, uh, to preach on eternal judgment, that's not easy to preach. But if I'm exhibiting an attitude that I'm glad about that, that's not conveying the truth in a God-honoring way. Everyone who is a child of God can have the wisdom they need. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally and upbraid it not, James 1, 5. But we have to listen 
and we have to desire it. You can be surrounded by wisdom. If you're not wanting to learn it, you're not going to. You're going to harm yourself. When I was a young man, I, I don't remember exactly when because I don't pay much attention to this stuff, but I remember there was a particular commercial for an investment firm, E.F. Hutton. And the theme of the, the commercial was when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. And so there was all kinds of different commercials. This is happening and all of a sudden the, the E.F. Hutton guy starts speaking and everybody freezes and tunes in. And that's how we ought to desire to be, to know God's wisdom so we can, verse number two, use that knowledge aright. Use it in its best way. Helping ourselves, helping others. Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know, when I was first in the ministry as an assistant pastor, my pastor was always very gracious. If we had a guest speaker in and he was taking them out to dinner or having them over to his home, he would invite Jan and I to go along. And most of the time, I just sat and listened. But it was, I learned so much from those opportunities. And today, as I was studying out this Bible lesson, one of the commentators said, quote, the tongues of the sages drip with knowledge. It's not purposefully somebody sitting you down here, let me teach you this. But it is somebody setting an example and you watch them. I've told you before, when we were in our child rearing years, Jan and I on purpose watched those families that had well-behaved children, children that would sit in church and listen. And we would seek them out and say, you know, how did you do that? How did you do that? What did you learn? So we could apply that. We wanted to learn. We wanted our children to turn out and honor the Lord. There's a contrast here, though, again, between the tongue of the wise and the mouth of fools. I almost laid out the Bible study tonight based on the different ways that it, 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 it speaks of our organ of speech, the tongue, the mouth, the eyes, the wholesome tongue, and, and so on and so forth. But I, I didn't do it that way. So we see the mouth of the wise, it uses knowledge in the best way possible, contrasted with the fool who poureth out foolishness. The verb there, poureth out, has the idea of gushing forth or spewing forth. It's sort of like the if you've ever been at a artesian well where it's it's just constantly flowing up out of the ground. One year, many many years ago, we were we vacationed in West Michigan, and there was a place there. It had a sign, you know, natural artesian well. So we thought, well, let's go and look at that, you know, take the kids out there. And we got there and the signs they'd put over, it was just on the side of this road out by Lake Michigan. It was titled Old Faceful. And I thought, that's sort of unique. You know, just water's coming out and people were coming by with containers. And then as I stood and watched, all of a sudden, pew, I figured out why it was Old Faceful. People lean over and get a drink and pew, 
get blasted with it. But the idea is that it is a constant flowing. I don't want you to think of anybody. I don't want any names coming to your mind. But have you ever figured out that people who know the least like to talk the loudest about certain topics? You know, they, they try to advertise their foolishness. And you know, you may have firsthand knowledge. You may have been there. And you just sit there and listen to them like, uh-huh. Proverbs 15, 2b, the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Later on, look down at verse 28, second half of the verse. It says, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Ecclesiastes 10, 14, a fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? Considered speech. You know what a person is. All you got to do is listen. They're advertising if they walk with God or if they don't. They advertise if they have a heart for God, if they don't. Listen to the way they analyze what's going on around them. And you know if they have a spiritual heart, a wise heart, or a fleshly heart, a worldly heart. Then thirdly, look at Verse number four, where it shows a consequence or a consequences of our speech. Verse one, it's loving communication, a soft answer. Verse two, it's wise communication. It, it, the, the wise use their knowledge aright. Verse number four, it's healthy communication. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness, that word means twisted, taking the truth and turning it on its ear. A perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. That phrase, a tree of life, caught my attention. Because I remembered in Genesis 2 and 3, the Bible talks in the Garden of Eden being a tree of life. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 22, it speaks of the tree of life by the river of life, bearing all manner of fruit and all manner of seasons. But that phrase is used metaphorically here in the book of Proverbs on several instances. For example, Proverbs 3, 17 and 18. Speaking of wisdom, it says her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. And happy is everyone that retaineth her. So there the tree of life is used metaphorically as the benefit of wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, talking about reaching others with the gospel. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. It's worth it to live a righteous, God-honoring, holy life. It'll be like a tree of life. Well, when you think of a tree of life, I think of two things. I think of the healthful benefits of that luscious, ripe fruit. And I think of the protection and shade and protection it offers. Wisdom is healthy for us. 
and it's fruitful for us. A righteous life is healthy for us. It's fruitful for us. Proverbs 13, he says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. When an anticipated accomplishment is finished, it's like a tree of life. It's healthy. It's beneficial. Well, here it talks about having a the right kind of speech. The right kind of speech is like a tree of life. Speech that speaks about that which is good, that which is honoring to God, that which offers wisdom. Like the tree of life, it is refreshing. It is healthy. And the point of verse number four is our speech will either give strength and refreshment to those that are around us, or it will be a breach in the spirit. Well, the word breach is a noun that speaks of destruction or ruin or affliction or fracture, like in a a dam when it begins to uh, wear down and water begins to flow over. It, that water, the old saying, water always wins. The water will eventually open up a wide chasm. Isaiah 65 verse 14 says, Behold, my servant shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart and shall howl for vexation of spirit. Exact same words, breach of spirit. So gracious speech brings healing, whereas a twisted, somebody who gossips, defames, criticizes, that kind of speech always wounds. A healthy tongue encourages, but twisted or false talk or misleading speech will break the spirit of those who listen. The conclusion tonight I want you to get is simply this. We bear responsibility for the consequences of not only our actions, but of our speech. Have you ever seen, said something to somebody maybe reactionary quickly in the heat of the moment and you almost saw them wilt? We're accountable for that. And as I finished this up and I sat back and I just thought through the lesson, I thought about that New Testament statement that says, we'll give an accounting for every idle word. Mom and dad, husband, wife, Christian brother, would your speech be identified as that which is a gentle answer? You use knowledge or might, or people like to be around you because you're like a tree of life? Or would it be grievous, stirring up anger, causing trouble? You just pour out, demonstrating you're not walking with God, you're not filled with the Spirit, pouring out foolishness. You're twisted. You, you, like, to, you like to say things that, you, you, you may know or not true, or you like spreading things that you don't know are, is true, but it causes a wounded spirit. 
Those who say the word of God doesn't help, not practical, haven't read it. To me, those are some pretty good guidelines in God-honoring speech.